This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. Yo, what is going on? Welcome back to the show. Today, we have a Q&A. Let's get right into the questions. So, first one was sleep. Can you talk more about how you approach sleep in order to optimize training? Absolutely. So I like this question a lot because truly sleep is one of the most underrated factors when it comes to actually seeing progress with your training, with your fat loss. Sleep is crazy important. And I think people more so correlate sleep with recovering from training than they do fat loss. But the reality is it plays a pretty big role in both. So not only is it the time that your body, well, the major time when your body repairs itself from your training in the gym, but also in a fat loss phase, when we undersleep, more of the stress hormone cortisol is released the next morning to help just keep us awake. Undersleeping is a stress on the body. More cortisol is released as a response to that. Now, alongside cortisol being released, more of the hormone ghrelin which is known as the hunger hormone, is released as well, which is basically just going to signal your body to be hungrier and take more energy, aka calories. So you're more likely to overeat. Inhibition is going to be higher. And also, you're just going to have less energy throughout the day. So therefore, you're going to burn fewer calories through daily movement. So if you're somebody that's chronically undersleeping, you're likely to have a harder time sticking to your diet and you're going to be moving less throughout the day. Now, that said... I don't want to get off on the fat loss tangent because this was specific to performance. So first and foremost, I would just say to make sure you're aiming for eight hours a night. People often like I've had clients in the past I've talked to about like, okay, what can I do with my macro split to optimize my energy? My energy just sucks through the day. And let's look at, okay, so how many hours are you sleeping? And it's like five to six hours per night. So first and foremost, we just can't. There's no hacks that can make up for too little quantity. So we want to aim for, at the bare minimum, seven hours per night. I always tell my clients, and I personally aim for at least eight hours in bed per night. So then we're just talking about improving sleep quality. So first and foremost, I would say we don't want to eat a huge meal within an hour to, I like to cut it off at about you're eating about 90 minutes before bed, an hour to 90 minutes. If it's a really big meal, I would do it at least two hours before bed because if that food is still digesting in your belly while you're trying to go to sleep, basically your body is gonna have a harder time promoting rest and recovery because it's still gonna be spending time trying to digest this food, which can disrupt your sleep. Similarly, I like to tell clients to cut water off or at least keep it to little sips the last few hours before bed so for me personally i typically go to bed between 9 30 and 10 p.m so i try to make sure i've i've dragged or i'm really reducing my water intake or have cut it off entirely now sometimes i get pretty damn thirsty so i have to take a couple of sips but i try to keep it to the minimum the last couple hours before bed because if you're waking up we want your sleep with as few disruptions as possible throughout the night. So if you're waking up through the night because you have to pee, like I know for me, 
<laughs> I will, I'll have to wake up to three, like to pee like three times throughout the night, not to three, to pee. Um, if I'm drinking water up until I go to bed. So cutting water off or at least limiting liquids for the last few hours is smart. Keeping meals to one to two hours before bedtime is smart. Room temperature helps a ton. So honestly, keeping it around like 65 degrees is going to be helpful. There's a saying for sleep, you want warm feet, cold nose. So of course your feet are like tucked under a blanket, but it should be chilly enough in your room to where it isn't because if you're hot, again, you're going to be waking up. It's going to be disrupting sleep. Likewise, if you're freezing, you're going to be waking up likely, and it's, again, going to disrupt sleep. So around 65 is a good temperature for most people. And I think that's one thing that <laughs> if you're just trying to save money on whatever the AC bill and it's super hot, the reality is your sleep's probably going to suck. You're going to wake up a lot during the night. You're going to be tossing and turning. And if you can't tell, this is something that I talk to a lot of my online clients about already. So I have a whole laundry list of things to focus on here. Um, outside of that, your nighttime routine can really, really help. One of the biggest things I help clients do is establish a solid nighttime routine before they go to bed. So really, we're looking at the last 30 to 60 minutes before bed as your wind down time. Oh, and one last thing I want to add. One of the most helpful things I've seen for clients is staying out of bed literally you don't touch your bed until you're ready to go to sleep if you're somebody that lays in your bed during the day to like look at your phone watch tv read or even if you do that before you go to bed you lay in your bed and read for example stop literally you want to teach your body that the only thing that your bed is used for is sleeping so we're really trying to ingrain this habit of i hit the bed i hit the pillow i'm tired People that often have trouble like falling asleep are also people that typically like work from their bed, um, read from their bed, etc. So just ingraining that habit helps a ton. Um, and then again, taking it back to the last 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime are kind of your wide now time. So it's smart to avoid TV, try to stay off your phone, try to avoid blue light as much as possible. Doing things by candlelight can help your circadian rhythm. Like we're getting away from these artificial blue lights, but I get it. That is kind of unrealistic for most people. The reality is like, I don't do that. I would just say if you wanted to optimize absolutely everything, you could do that. And then I've really found that outside of not touching your bed, journaling can help tremendously here as well. I really think not touching your bed, journaling, and of course a caffeine cutoff time, which we're going to talk about in just a second as well. But in the last, like, let's say 30 minutes before you go to bed, just doing some type of brain dump journaling session. So you can use a Word doc, a notepad, whatever is easiest for you. Really don't overthink this. Just write whatever comes to mind. No judgment here. Just let your words flow. And I get it. This sounds kind of foo-foo. The first time my mentor told me to do this, I was like, what? I'm not going to journal. <laughs> that shit's so lame. But truly, it helps a ton. And I'm a huge fan of journaling now. I tell my clients to do it all the time it really helps you get out of your head and feel a lot more relaxed before you go to sleep likewise meditation can really help before bed if you're somebody that struggles to fall asleep or to stay asleep because often what we see if you're somebody that like wakes up during the night it's because our cortisol pattern is off so typically cortisol spikes in the morning again cortisol is a stress hormone 
and kind of decreases in the evening leading up to bedtime before it spikes in the morning again. Now, if this pattern is off, you'll get this situation where cortisol is spiking in the middle of the night, you're waking up in the middle of the night, which I often see with clients and I've experienced myself. When you're going through, for example, a very, very high stress week or a couple weeks of high life stress, we'll see this happen. So implementing things like journaling and meditation before help drastically reduce stress. And then when you get in bed, just focus on belly breathing and stay off your damn phone. So put your hand on your belly, inhale through your nose for a five count, focus on feeling your belly fill up with air, hold that briefly, I would say hold it for a five count, and then, then exhale through your mouth for a five count. And focus on just completely emptying your belly. I would repeat this 10 to 20 times. We call this box breathing. So all this should have you pretty damn tired. If not, just continue to focus on the breathing. But the reality is that'll help your sleep a ton. And I've seen this exact routine work very well for many of my clients. The last thing I want to add there is a caffeine cutoff time is very important. So if you're having caffeine at like three or four in the afternoon, you're probably not doing your sleep any favors. As a rule of thumb, I would cut caffeine off at least eight hours before you go to bed. I found personally, and for many of my clients, that just setting caffeine regardless at a noon, a noon cutoff time for caffeine is gonna work very well. And as far as optimizing sleep goes, those are generally the tips that I give. If you follow, if you implement all that, your sleep should be pretty damn on point. All right, next question. Can you explain when you would have a client track macros versus when you would have them track just calories and protein? All right, so here, typically the more advanced a client is or the more specific a result the client wants to see, the more likely I am to have them track macros. Whereas if it's a client that wants to keep all this as simple as possible and they don't have a ton of experience tracking their food, for example, it's a lot more likely that we'll have them track calories and protein. So personally, I'm somebody that loves nerding out over the data. I'm someone, someone that also coaches a lot of coaches who also love nerding out over the data and want to learn as much as possible and do everything possible to squeeze every drop they can out of the results they get through their time coaching. So if this sounds like you, the reality is we'll probably have you track macros. That said, when I bring on a client that, let's say you haven't tracked calories before, or maybe you've tracked for a couple of weeks, you've tracked off and on, which is more common for like a more general population client that'll come on board. Maybe you've always struggled to even stick to a diet. In a situation like this, we're a lot more likely to have you track just calories and protein because I also know with many of my clients that are relatively new to tracking or learning how to track their calories, track their food properly, it's just a lot harder to, macros feel like a lot more to stick to. So whereas like with calories and protein, the reality is, okay, you can just plan out your protein sources for the day, then plug in what foods you want to fit into the rest of your calorie goals. Of course, we wanna focus on like mostly whole foods, but I'd say for most clients, this is typically an evolution. So we're starting like, hey, really the first couple of weeks, all I care about is you hitting your calories and your protein. And then as clients go on, as I see you sending me your food diary, will evolve to like, okay, so you mentioned you've been really, really hungry. So let's focus on implementing some more whole foods. Like let's say we'll add a piece of fruit, then we'll add two pieces of fruit. Then I want you to also add, a veggie with 
dinner and then invite you with another meal and so on and so forth. So we really improve food quality over time. But for most clients, like that process is a lot less intimidating and it helps adherence so much more to just keep it simple with just tracking calories and protein than if right out of the gate I say, hey, here's your protein goal, your carb goal, your fat goal. I want you to hit protein and carbs within 10 grams and fat within five grams. For somebody that's never tracked or has very limited tracking experience, that's just a lot. That said, as clients progress and they want to get more specific results, I do like macros because they allow us to optimize everything. So often clients will transition from, okay, we're just tracking calories and protein to we're tracking macros. So let's say you come in, you start coaching with the initial goal of just getting lean. You lose, you get to about, let's say 15% body fat if you're a woman or like that 10 to 12 mark as a man, uh, let's say like 15 to 20% as a woman. And then you decide, okay, I want to take this to the next level. I want to get as lean as possible. So this is often when we shift to macros. Or again, just if you're a coach that wants to nerd out over, here's how we time all your nutrients perfectly to make sure you're getting as much out of your training as possible. Again, another good application for macros. So in situations like that, I like macros because one, having a specific macro goal really helps also control your food quality. So if somebody's getting ready for a photo shoot, the reality is if you're bringing in a lot of quote unquote flexible foods, so like if you're eating out a ton, if you're going out a lot, it's just gonna be hard to actually measure that food accurately and we're a lot more likely to see your results stall. And I will also say when clients just track calories and protein, this is one of the biggest things we often have to troubleshoot is Almost everybody at one point or the other tries to get too quote unquote flexible, working in like eating out too much, too much Chipotle is a great example of that, or like too much alcohol. Now, not at all that I have anything against alcohol, but like often that leads to miscalculations in your overall calories. So the beauty of having these strict macros that you have to hit as opposed to just a calorie and protein goal, which gives you a lot more flexibility for like what the components of your calories are, is it forces you to really plan ahead more for times when you, like if you do want to go out, you know, you're going to have to plan for that. You're going to have to plan your day around that to make sure it works. And the reality is you're just going to eat a lot more whole quote unquote bro food. So there's a lot less room for measurement error because you don't have as much flexibility. Like you can't have the majority of your calories coming from unprocessed hyperpalatable foods and also actually hit your macro split often. So it just kind of forces you to be a lot more dialed in. And again, I really like macros as an education tool to teach people like, okay, here's how we can get hyper specific with these carbs if you want to get everything possible out of your results. That said, again, for like more gen pop clients that don't want to take this too far, they just want to focus on the big rocks which is always smart to like it's often it's also too easy for people that aren't as invested in this as like if you're a coach listening to this you'll probably want to optimize everything again but for many people the reality is clients have like lives outside of just training and nutrition this isn't their main focus so for many people just keeping it as simple as possible is smart so in that case like i again i like protein and calories it allows a lot more lifestyle flexibility allows them to stress about it less i think the most important thing here is just making clear to your clients the benefit of each and literally i talk people through this on the phone on the initial consultation you do when you start coaching with me on that initial strategy call we'll talk through your lifestyle what you feel like you can adhere to the best, what you want to accomplish out of this, and kind of the trade-offs each 
of each of those because no matter what like as a coach setting those those expectations of like okay here's how challenging it's going to be and here's the results you can expect out of it here's the trade-offs for choosing either easy either wow i can't talk either the easier or the harder path but setting those expectations are super important so as far as deciding if somebody's going to choose do macros or calories and protein those are typically the things i take into consideration final question is how do you create so much content lol <laughs> i'm so flattered by questions like this always all right so um man with content creation first and foremost it comes with just expanding what you can do over time so like i remember when i started creating content when sal the stefano from mind pump told me i had to start posting on social media he said at least three times a week and i was like what there is literally no way that I can post on Instagram three times a week. That's crazy. But I committed to it, which uh, taking it back, I think like for me, I always knew I needed to post on social media, but until I was committed to like, Sal, I'm going to post three times a week. I never actually fall through with it. So one that speaks to the power of accountability and like, likewise now for the last couple of years with my mentor, Cody, where we've really expanded on like, the amount of content I'm creating for me, one of the most helpful things is just having somebody holding me accountable to this. And likewise, like I was just talking to a coach about this this morning on a call I hopped on with to break down a couple of things like this for him. Just having that accountability there is the biggest piece of all this. Cause I think most people like think like, oh man, I need to like all these people that create content so consistently are so inspired all the time to create such dope content, but that's really not how it works. Like with most cases, I think the people that put in the effort that we aspire to are just the people that have found ways to kind of force themselves to do that. So again, like they have sources of accountability. They're committed to it publicly. Who I am is a person, as weird as it sounds, part of my identity is I post on Instagram every single day no matter what if i don't do that i feel like i'm letting myself down tremendously i'm letting my mentor down i'm investing a lot of money to make sure i follow through with shit like this so not doing it is very painful for me so one just putting yourself in a situation like that truly helps a ton with creating content for me this is something that's evolved very much over the time so like i talked about at the start i was just posting three times a week on instagram that was it then I started posting more frequently. So I think I probably got up to like four to five times a week. Then I started, that's I started writing blogs for Mind Pump. So I had a couple blogs dropping a week. Um, and then let's see, it was, I think that I started posting multiple times for a while there. I was posting three times a day. Then I went to two times a day. I was posting three times a day. I moved back to once a day. Then I, for a good like year, I was posting twice a day. Then I decided to dial that back. So literally when I started the podcast was when I just decided to dial it back to once a day so I could focus more on like evergreen content, e.g. the podcast and the blogs go hotter on those, on the quality of those and dialing back my social media posts a little bit, but obviously blogs and podcasts also entail content. So, um, but for me then like, Again, talking about scaling this up, I was posting pretty consistently. I went to my first um, quote unquote mastermind and that was where we set my first round of 90 day outcomes. So for me, honestly, I think when, as far as it comes to content, like the 90 day outcomes have helped a ton because they th take things like this that for you are going to be a push 
So like for me, I remember my first 90 day outcomes. I said, okay, I'm going to email my list at least three times a week. I'm going to post on social media every day, which that I was already in the habit of. And I'm going to write a blog once a week. The emailing my list three times a week and posting a blog once a week were both a big push for me. But by the end of the 90 day outcomes, they were pretty much habit. And this was when I started, oh shit, it's been, has to be like at least 16 months of posting a blog every week now. So for me, just like setting 90 day outcomes, I think those are one of the most helpful things. Like, okay, this is what I'm gonna be doing for the next 90 days. This is gonna be a push. By the end of that, it always becomes a habit. So then it expands to like, okay, now I'm gonna start releasing two podcasts a week on top of what I was doing before. Now I'm gonna start releasing three podcasts a week. Now I'm gonna email my list four times a week. You get the idea there. Um, and then with content, constantly keeping track of like different questions your clients ask you. So like, what are your clients struggling with? I think that one thing that people get to, or that kills people's content that do put out a lot of content, but don't get a lot of like actual clients out of it that have trouble building their coaching business is kind of their contents all over the place. So it's also very helpful. I don't think you have to niche down hyper specifically, but it is very helpful to keep in mind like, okay, what is my one ideal client that I'm talking to? What are their biggest things that they're struggling with? And you're constantly focusing on answering those questions for clients. And then even having a structure across your week, like what are you typically posting about? So like for me, I know Mondays and Tuesdays are always, almost always something information heavy. People really seem to like that. So like it'll be one thing nutrition information heavy, typically one thing training information heavy. Wednesday, for whatever reason, people really seem to connect more with like um, something more emotional. So maybe like a client transformation story that really seems to resonate with people. Thursdays, always a blog day. Fridays um, is t- Fridays vary a lot. It's typically people like on Friday and Saturday don't want anything super information heavy. So it's something applicable to like people's weekend. What's going on here? Like what information could you provide? So for example, like low calorie drinks or something similar to that. Friday and Saturdays are pretty good there. Saturdays are definitely the post of the week that I put the least effort into. <laughs> typically, it's just like me and my girl hanging out. Um, and then Sundays are typically when people are ready to get rolling again. People want to be fired up for the week. So something more motivational, something mindset related is smart. And similarly for like my emails to my list, I have a similar structure to this Monday motivation. Wednesday is something informational. Thursday's plug in the blog. Friday's the content roundup. Um, and then even for the podcast, Mondays are always an interview. My Wednesdays are always something more information heavy. As far as the podcast goes, it's weird how it seems to vary between social, like Instagram and the podcast, but people seem to really like the information heavy podcast on Wednesday. So uh, none of this is set in stone, I guess, but that's as of now for the last six months, this has been the schedule I followed. And then Friday, people really seem to enjoy the Q&A. So having a lot of structure to it like that. But again, realizing that it doesn't just come with inspiration, like you're never going to be inspired to constantly create content and never run out of inspiration. Like most things, you realize that most people don't have this constant stream of motivation to do them. It's just the people that sit down and do that shit anyways, have the discipline to make it happen. Your disciplines, I love the saying, 
your commitments must be stronger than your feelings. So if you're committed to doing this shit, doesn't really matter that much if you feel like creating it or not. If you block out specific times every day or every week that you're going to create content regardless, you sit your ass down and you create regardless of how you're feeling. That's how you create good content. And over time, you just get better and better at it. You get better at writing. You get better at creating infographics. You might take better pictures. <laughs> um, but again, like if I look back at my shit from like two years ago, it looks so awful it's embarrassing how bad it is same thing with my writing but it's constantly improving constantly evolving it just just like everything else creating a lot of content also takes reps but i think the biggest thing that most people that are like trying to create dope content but end up giving up after a couple weeks are missing is just it just takes reps it's just gonna take longer than you want but with practice you will get there and you'll be able to create some dope content eventually be patient block out your time to do it ignore how you feel about it and just make yourself do it anyways all right on that note that is all i have for you guys for today now before i let you go do me one quick favor if you enjoyed this podcast take a screenshot of your phone right now share this to your instagram story and tag me i want to connect with you and together we're really growing the reach of the show all right again thank you for tuning in have an awesome weekend